You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. I know we've taken a little bit of a break to get us ready for the NBA season, which begins today. We're recording this on Thursday, July 30th. I actually got the day of the week right. Ben is off dealing with a personal matter, so we have a special guest this week, someone who I think more people should know about because you do work that people don't really do this is uh coleman Ayers. he runs the youtube channel by any means basketball and also has his own training business based out of miami and dc he's done some amazing videos i think the one that most people probably know about is why derrick rose got injured scientifically uh but he also does great work kind of explaining the footwork and the biomechanics of how to be really a better basketball player um so coleman thank you so much for joining us Sure, man. Thank you for having me. Excited to get to it. Yeah, and this must be a really strange time for you, uh, the pandemic, because you do have a business where you're talking and you're working with players, you know, at the same time that you're producing YouTube videos. So what's this last few months been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been weird, like you said. Um, so the, the in-person stuff has kind of been derailed a little bit in, in terms of, like, no big groups. Like, every time I enter a gym, I'm like, all right, I got to I got to be on be on my toes. It's kind of like who knows what's going to happen if if someone has it in here, but um it's definitely been tough in terms of the in-person stuff, um which has been kind of annoying, but it's also been somewhat of a blessing in disguise. Um it's really helped me expand not only just my education, so I've been reading a lot more books and I've been you yeah. know doing research, um which has been cool because it's it's really completely shifted my mindset in a lot of things, but it's also kind of given me some time to get some stuff done that I've always wanted to. Like we just came out with an app um, for our, like for all the binding me stuff, but especially for our virtual training programs. Um, and then just like, a, again, come out, coming out with virtual training programs, a lot of things that I normally don't have the time for. And now, you know, I've been, been in the house all day, so got to, got to do something productive. So it's, it's really <laughs> kind of a blessing in disguise in some ways, but um, no, it's been, it's, a little weird for sure, um, and and I mean it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. So just continue to improvise. What goes into a training program, just so people have an idea of like what that means? Yeah. So in terms of our, in terms of the virtual ones, like the ones we we sell online, those are primarily like I mean we have two three months of workouts really carefully crafted. So um, everything has like a video behind it. We explain the drill, what you're supposed to be doing um, at every step of the drill. Um, and then we also have a bunch of features. So like every program will have a different theme. So like one is a small guard program, you know, for, for sub six foot guards, really, really fitting for them. Sharpshooter program, obviously shooting. And we have really specific skills. And, um, so I put breakdowns on there of the 
essentially the skill um, and just kind of expanding people's knowledge as they, they do the workouts. Uh, you know, there's nutrition, injury prevention, recovery, a bunch of cool features that, that I include on those as well. Um, and that's, that's really where we've been going with the, with the virtual training program. You have this business now, but it first started as a YouTube channel where you're yeah. watching players and you're showing people like, okay, he jumps this way, that's why he's able to be so explosive, or his feet are positioned here, or ooh, the way he lands, which is something that I think is a very new thing in basketball, mm-hmm. this idea of we're actually and to me it's kind of surprising it's a new thing because it seems so fundamental, but like yeah. how you land can affect what the pressure you put on certain parts of your body. Um, you started it with that and then built it out, have built it out into a training program. What, what's your background? I mean, how did you kind of stumble into this as like, uh, as a thing to do? And I, as I understand it, you're still in college, right? You're, you're going into your senior year. I guess you're in, I don't even know what years are like now with <laughs> college, but, uh, you're going into your senior year. So like, how did you stumble into this sort of world that you've created for yourself? Yeah, man. So it, it, Started when I was 15 or 16. I never can really remember. I got to go back on calendar one day and just see when everything happened. But um, so around that time, um, like we were talking a little bit off the call about, played at St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C., which was, I mean, still is, but one of the powerhouses, not only in the area, but nationally. Like um, my junior year, <clears throat> our conference, the WCAC, had five, maybe six teams ranked in the top 25 nationally. So mm-hmm. being amidst that kind of basketball culture and also the DMV is just DC, Maryland, Virginia, for, yep. for those who aren't aware, um, is basically the hotbed for basketball in the country, especially high school. Um, yes, and, definitely. 100%. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's also the kind of thing I'm from the area too, that it just makes me so annoyed that the wizards have not caught yeah. on locally <laughs> when you consider youth basketball and how big a deal it is it just sort of to me yeah. I, I wrote a story about this a few years ago about how they're trying to change this just how there is so little enthusiasm because they've just been so irrelevant for so long and they haven't had like any core players so yeah. that it's just so funny how that it, it passion for high school hoops in the area has not translated to the pro team it pisses me off as a fan of the pro team but it sounds like it's starting to change but yeah and i mean i think you're right like the wcac is what dematha is in the wcac yeah. they have a lot of top programs gonzaga is in the wcac just to give people an idea of like some of the people the players you played against yeah so I mean, from there, like you said, a lot of the players were extremely elite. Like, I'm pretty sure every team, I don't want to say every team, but most teams send at least five, six kids to D1 schools every year. And then my junior year, we were, we got up to number four in the country. Um, but besides that, like, we, we pretty much everyone on that team, like, I was not playing very much my junior year, but the kids that I was sitting on the bench with, one's at UVA, one's at Florida Gulf Coast, one's like, I can go on and on with that. So yeah. point being not not point being is playing amidst this this talent and with other players that are just were so talented from the beginning kinda set me on this path of like what makes these guys so good. And also kind of a twofold um consequence of that, I would say not consequence, you know, result of that is that um I'm a five at the time, five, eight, five, nine white kid that <laughs> fuck with these these guys so like you know at, at the time it was like all right every morning every night you know 
in the gym, um, studying the game, just trying to get every advantage. And those two things that, that first, like I was talking about, that kind of desire to know what made these guys so good. And then the second, just working my ass off and trying to essentially train myself and, you know, trial and error on myself kind of led me down the path of like, of training athletes. And, you know, eventually got to the point where like teammates, I would start training them in the gym with me. Um, so that, that love kind of grew from there. And from the story that I always tell about how everything kind of got concretely started was in the car going to like a travel basketball tournament going into my junior year, maybe senior year. I can't, I, again, I can't so bad with the dates, but um, so I was, I was like, I used to want to model my game after, after Steph Curry. Like he was, he was big at the time. Uh, I mean, obviously he still is, but like that's when he was really like coming yeah. out and winning unanimous MVP. So I was kind of breaking down his game, his step back, um, just like driving up to a tournament in the car. Um, and essentially I, I put it on the iMovie because I had it on my computer and I like made notes for myself. Like, all right, this is what he does here. Like watch how his foot is planted. I'll have to go back to remember what I actually put there, but, um, put it up on YouTube and, and called it like attention to detail, primarily just so I could, you know, have it for myself and like send it right. to other people, you know, some of my, my boys that I played with. Um, but, you know, did a couple more of those and it started to gain traction. So, I mean, even before then, but especially once that started to get going a little bit, it was just a ton of research, ton of, you know, hitting people up who are experts in the field, um, interviewing them, just trying to, you know, pick their brains, um, watching a shit ton of film, just, you know, trying to find trends, trying to um, figure things out for myself as well, and then trying to apply it on myself and on, you know, my teammates and friends that I would, that would be in the gym with me. So that, that was kind of the early beginnings of everything, and then everything after that is, is kind of, you know, just growing from there. And that's amazing. That's just following your passion. And, I mean, I I also like to think of myself as someone that, like, is very interested in, how does this thing work, right? I mean, it's, what I find funny to about this, and I don't know if you had the personal experience too as you were looking into this, is that there really isn't that much out there about movement patterns for the general public. I mean, P3 is like sort of this science, this, this factory. How do we best describe P3? It's like a place where, you know, these athletes go and they kind of get all these different body proportions measured and you know it helps with sort of recovery and training that was just starting to become a big thing a few years ago mm-hmm. and they of course work for the client um more so than anything and there's it also seems to me like that the research about how biomechanics actually work in the body is so new and i just thought that was very surprising was that the experience you found too where it's like why is this, where is this in the world? Like, who do I even talk to? I mean, even people that are working with athletes, like we're, they're learning too about this world. Were you, did you find that there was more or less out there about this stuff than you thought? Yeah, no, definitely less. And it's it's funny because like as a 17 year old at the time being very inquisitive about it, it was like, like you said, who, who do I talk to? So a lot of it was like, um, like DPTs, like, um, you know, um, physical, I'm tripping. I can't even remember what, um, basically sports medicine guys, like guys who, who understand biomechanics, but not as much in like a, a basketball specific sense. And if it's in a basketball specific sense, it's more so like, um, rehab 
prehab type thing mm-hmm. rather than actually analyzing a game and analyzing biomechanics, um, you know, whether it's in a laboratory like P3 would do or not, not a laboratory, but like, you know, in, in, a, in a weight room situation or like live on the court and like analyzing the film. And P3, you know, it's, it's an incredible what they do. Like um, everything they do from the evaluation to how specific the training is, is, is absolutely incredible. Um, but I wanted to take that. My goal was to take that and make it a little bit more digestible for people because obviously I'm still to this day and I won't for a, a while have the same amount of knowledge as those guys because they're yeah. genius. And also the data as well. I mean, they collect data on so much stuff. You know, exactly. That's just not something that a normal person is going to be able to have access to. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that that is the goal to have that level of, of you know, education and experience in the field down the line but at the time being 17 like i was like all right what can i understand um because there's there's not much out there so i was definitely taking from non-basketball situations or um talking to less basketball specific professionals and applying that myself into the game of basketball um which was i mean it, it allowed me to, to do that because i didn't need too much knowledge at the time obviously i've learned insane amount since then um but i didn't need like too much knowledge at the time of just like literally most of the stuff that were in those earlier videos was very basic fundamental stuff um and it's it, the fact that it was so revolutionary at the time like really shows you how little was out there like you were saying yeah why is that do you think i mean why i'm not i i suck at science i i was terrible (laughs) at physics in high school i almost failed physics but like i know that what goes up must come down and what goes up high comes down hard so why was there so little in your mind now that you've sort of seen it like why do you think so little was out there before the last few years yeah i mean i think everyone before um, obviously it's it's coming coming to the forefront these past couple of years but before this real movement kind of happened and even now it can it should be even emphasized more but everyone was more more so focused on putting horsepower in the car rather than you know yeah flying the brakes so what do you mean by that now i'm curious to unpack that like you're talking what do you mean by horse what is horsepower in the car and what's i i think the way i described it with tracy mcgrady was like software not hardware yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's sort of. I mean, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, so basically, everyone wants forty-five inch vertical, like Derrick Rose. Um, that was like you know very foundational example. But going back, like no one really saw the injury prevention side for what it was because performance is like the only thing in a lot of people's minds. Performance, performance, performance. Like more horsepower, faster, stronger, um, higher. higher. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, like some of these these qualities will apply over also into the realm of injury prevention. Like once we get stronger, naturally we're, we're going to be able to prevent injuries a little bit better. But that wasn't the primary focus. And I, I mean, I, again, I'm I'm still young, so it's hard for me to speak on the training methods back in the day. But like a lot of it is what I would guess is that people are are, are more so focused on performance and and putting this, um, the output ahead of anything. And it's just like with, with biomechanics is, is really becoming, um, better research, more extensively research. And without that, it's, it's tough to kind of apply, but even like 
it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me why to why this was never a thing. I mean, you see like Chase McGrady, all these guys like back in the day, Penny Hardaway, ton of them have problems with like, and those are just like the the very like star. Grant example. Hill is another example. Yeah, yeah, Grant, perfect example. Of, and, you know, like these are the, the stars. Like talk about guys on a high school level who are who are struggling from this. Like this is this is a really, really big issue and always has been. And I, I'm not 100% sure as to why people never really digested that and were like, all right, we need to do something about this. Or maybe they did and just didn't know what to do about it. Not 100% sure, but – I've definitely seen it kind of shifting towards more relevance in the last couple of years. And we're talking about basketball specifically. I mean, the idea, this has been a little more popular before in other sports. Football, I think there's a lot more out there sooner. I have a couple theories that I'm going to throw at you, and these are just theories. I mean, one one is that just sort of if you talk to, from a training standpoint, I remember I talked to Larry Hughes about this once on a podcast, and he was saying, like, it was only later in my career that we even – did core exercises really or stuff that really emphasize like kind of the abs, the glutes, um, those sorts of things that are kind of to you, to what you described as more of the support stuff rather than the hardware. And yeah. I just think that that I think is just a thing that's universal among all trainers, yeah. you know, that basketball or not, like we just, for whatever reason, we focus so much more on kind of the showy muscles rather mm-hmm. than, the ones that are harder to spot but more important. So that's one thing that happened. And then my other theory, and I'm curious what you think about this, and I've written about this before, is that the changes in the game itself make it so that it's less about shooting over people or kind of this trench warfare style where Mm -hmm. it's like you throw it into the big guy and the big guy's got to have stronger upper body to get it over you. And it's become more about space and speed and agility, much more like soccer. And in those situations, and we were seeing this change even before the hand-checking rules of 2005, and that's why I thought McGrady was such an interesting figure in this because he kind of bridged these eras. Mm -hmm. You saw it just when you play on a surface that's like one and a half times as big as – what it was before because of the spacing of the game, suddenly now your movement patterns have got to be a lot more efficient. So I think that my theory is that that played a major role in this awakening uh, of biomechanics. I'm curious if you agree. Yeah, I, it's, I, I definitely could see both those. I think it's a combination of a ton of things, I would say, especially going back to the first one, as you said. And the second one, you definitely hit the nail on the head. I think that could be big. Um, but for the first one, like training methods are – developing and, and evolving every year and it's, it's it's kind of strange that the training methods come ahead of the the root problem like now why do you think that is it's just like people always want the the novel training method and then i think what's happened is people are, are understanding now like oh this could be good for injury prevention rather than Damn, there's a lot of injuries happening. What can we do to prevent these? Right. Um, so it's it's kind of been like reversed in that sense. I would say, obviously not for everyone. There have always been people that that are have been um, very like root problem oriented and and injury prevention based. But those are like the, the the rare case for the most part. At you know from what I've seen, and it is cool that it's starting to become you know more of a prevalent thing these days, and I also think another thing is social media. It's just like you see guys like obviously LeBron's the most 
you know, drastic example, spending a million dollars per year on his body. Who knows how much he actually spends to, to you know, on his body or whatever. Right. Other players see that, young players see that, and it becomes like a, a cool trend. And, I mean, for that's probably a good thing is, like, younger players seeing like, all right, this is what the best guys do. This is what the pros do. Take care of your body. Um, now it's gotten to the point where whenever I'm training a pro or talking to a pro, they're always more kind of aware of, like, all right, I need to take care of my body nutrition. Um, generally ask more about injury prevention um, than, like, these high school guys. And I think it's because they, they're learning as they – make their way up the ranks. College programs are likely now emphasizing this more. Um, and a lot of it has started with guys like LeBron and, and trying to think of other examples. There are a ton of guys, not a ton, but a, a good handful of guys who have really emphasized like taking care of your body, longevity, and it's paid off for them in the, for the most part. Yeah, I was going to ask you who you thought in the league right now just from watching them, like, has the best or smoothest biomechanics. So you can tell has worked on the whole part of the body. LeBron seems like the most obvious example. He's never injured. You look at him and his his trunk is just so solid. Yeah. Um, the other guy I was thinking about, too, is James Harden. I mean, if you look at his yeah. his legs and his chest and it's like he's like a bowling ball. I mean, are there anyone else that if you're new to this as, like, a fan and you want to learn more, you say, who's really good at this? Who should they look at in your mind that's currently playing? Yeah, one one player I always emphasize is Russell Westbrook, just because he he's had his fair share of injuries. Nothing huge, I, I don't believe. Um, I'm, his torn meniscus was contact injury with, with Patrick Beverly, so that's flu. Yeah, um, but the dude, he's he's a high flyer. He's always on go, one hundred percent, and he stayed pretty injury free, which is very impressive. And a lot of things that you see him do are pretty ideal for um, how I would teach players to, especially like 40 inches up in the air, um, you'll see him like really absorb that force well, as well as sometimes he'll, he'll um, a couple of techniques that I always, you know, would say to look at is one, especially jumping a little bit more horizontally. So like he's trying to extend out on a layup instead of just coming down hard on one foot, it's like he disperses that through four or five small steps. On the landing, you're saying? Yeah, so um, it's just like they're the small steps. He's he's has no problem with falling when he needs to. So that's interesting. I mean, the idea of it's actually better to fall than land on one leg. Yeah. Can you can you just briefly explain why that is? Yeah. So there will always be positions that that you're put into, like in a game. Um, basketball is a very imperfect game, hence all the injuries. Um, and there will always be a position in a game where, like, you just need to escape it. And some guys, especially younger guys who, who aren't very coordinated or, or haven't really been playing long or taught the right things, whatever, will try to just absorb these forces, um, whether it's because they're trying to get back on defense after they shoot a layup or um, <clears throat> because they feel like falling is, is kind of a weakness. And you, you see guys like Russell Westbrook where, They'll land, you know, with a straight leg or like it's their trajectory is coming down on a straight leg. Like there's nothing you can do about these positions, like regardless of how strong you are, how good your your biomechanics are on a you know typical overhead squat or, or depth drop or whatever. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. So the only way to get out of that 
many times is just hitting the ground. And it's, I don't think it's talked about enough. It's, it's obviously not something where I tell players to, to fall every time. But if you – and most of it is instinct. Like Russell Westbrook, I doubt he's worked on this. But instincts are, are huge. And right. some players are already good with this. Um, and then some players I'll be like, yo, why would you – like? I mean, I'm not going to say it like that, but just like, yo, next time you really feel like you're in a, in a bad position – just hit the ground, pop back up, run back on defense. Like it's way. I would much rather have you do that and miss out on a second or two of defense than end up with a chronic or acute injury issue. Yeah. So I mean, just uh, for people who like kind of are just conceptually when you fall, like why the fall is so important. Obviously, is that you're up in the air and you're absorbing so much. The higher you are, the more you absorb. So what you're taught to do generally is like you said you want to absorb that force in one of the stronger parts of your body which hips abs glutes that area so you kind of want to come down generally first of all on two feet as much as possible and also on like kind of the middle of the foot so you're not on your heel and absorb the achilles problem i mean that's what happened to kevin duran and you mm-hmm. know brianna stewart uh in the WNBA is someone i've been watching a lot of you can tell like She's not quite there from her Achilles because she can't cut as easily off it. There's that. And then if you fall and your leg is straight, the knee is naturally going to absorb a lot more of that. And the knee is not as strong. So if you watch people on their landing, they'll usually slightly bend their knees. But if they their leg is too straight, what will happen is they'll fall on it and then the knee will sort of come over the toe. Yeah. Right? It'll, it'll just sort of pronate in a way that – is really dangerous. And one of the best ways you can tell that somebody is landing effectively is how much the knee is prorating. Correct. If it's over the toe or behind the toe, that's good. Generally, if it's way over the toe or in front of it, that's bad. Is that a fair simplification? Yeah. Yeah. I I think as a simplification, that's, that's probably solid. There are times like we need our, our need to move over our toe is, is how we move. But when you're coming down from 40 inches up in the air as an NBA guy um, and you're landing and your knee is, is translating very far in front of your toe, probably not a good thing um, simply because we're just we're not using the musculature of the hips. Um, so glute, glute me um, to, to kind of sit back into it. But there will be times, and this is something I, I've really started to emphasize more is like I said, basketball is a game of imperfection, so there will be times where we're going to have to come down, let's say, moving forward. So, like, I run on the most simple. Just imagine yourself, you're sprinting, you jump up, but you're moving forward, and you land still kind of moving forward. It's going to be hard to sit back into your hips because most of your momentum is moving forward. So we have to train that ability for our knees to move over our toe, but also – understand that that's not ideal in most cases you know it's, it's hard to make big generalizations like that but not ideal but we definitely have to train for it I would say yeah I'm thinking like if you're in a pick and roll and you're just accelerating really hard to the basket you're driving an open gap you can't exactly I mean even though some of these guys I mean one of the other things I think is just remarkable about some of the best players now and that's a new thing is just this ability to decelerate and stop. Um, I think I, I thank the year, the 
Eurostep is a really big key, I think, in helping improve that because you're generally, as I understand it, the the longer your steps are, the more you're trying to decelerate. You shorten them up if you want to go fast. So when you're Eurostepping, you're stepping very wide to try mm-hmm. to maximize your two steps, and so that allows you to slow down. But generally, if you're going really hard to kind of attack a driving gap, you know, that it's hard to slow down. So, yeah. I mean, you talked about the chopping of the feet. What that does essentially is now you're slowly absorbing the fall through multiple legs. So you'll notice that a lot more, and you'll notice fewer people who are just sort of taking it all at once, and that's the problem. The other is the other thing that I think is really important for people to understand, I think what people are really asking right now, especially now that the bubble is back, is, you know, it's now been kind of proven that injuries rise the more fatigued you are or the more you're ramping up quicker is a puts you at an injury risk. Like, so if you go from zero activity, like in a pandemic, to now you're starting these really high-intense games like the NBA and the WNBA are, that's a risk. You're at risk of injury in that scenario yeah. because fatigue and just your body's not used to it. What do you think is going to be the general effect of the bubble on injuries because of that factor? Yeah, I think I'm not 100% sure about acute injuries, which are just like torn ACLs, like single incident injuries. Like um, most of them, I mean, obviously the, the contact injury is completely taken out because that's that's going to happen regardless. Like someone gets knocked in the head, they get a concussion. Like that's right. going to happen. I mean, uh, we could go into this too, or I mean, I could, but you know that those may be at more of a, you know, those may be more frequent because people are um, not like they're out of the their kind of rhythm in terms of positioning and everything. Right, right, yeah. So like they yeah, put themselves yeah. into more of like a, a dangerous position, but that's that's another story. I would say the main thing will be non contact injuries and more chronic things. So like you'll. Probably we're not going to hear about it as much because we don't hear when a player gets patellar tendinopathy, which is basically jumper's knee. Um, so most most basketball players have experienced this, but you're not going to hear about it as much. But a lot of these players will likely be dealing with that, you know, patellar killer or Achilles tendinopathy um, because their tendons have been chilling for four or five months. They haven't had the same amount of elastic contacts, which are like store and they basically storing energy and releasing it. So if you think hopping, like jumping rope, um, just like quick hops, like basketball is a very um, plyometric centered game, which which means that we're consistently hitting the ground, storing energy and releasing yeah. ground. So like whether it's a, a jump shot, we're jumping up in the air, popping back up, and then sprint. Like everything is based on a quick store and release of energy. So most players, regardless of whether they've been lifting or even the, the training intensities have not been the same, um, and that's something I'll get into in terms of conditioning, that they're not, they're not going to be used to the – their bodies are not going to be used to that same amount of elastic contact. So even if a player jumped rope, um, you know, however many minutes a day um, on the simplest level, like that could decrease the incidence of injury – Potentially, I don't want to say anything with guarantees, um, or at least like more chronic tendinopathy issues by probably a good amount, just because you're maintaining that level of even basic elastic ground contacts. Um, 
And and another thing is that players are are likely out of shape. And yeah, I was going to ask about this. Like, what's the effect? I mean, it seems like you can do strength exercises and core exercises from your house, but what you can't do is simulate the speed of an NBA game. So yep. what what effect is that going to have, do you think? Just the, the ramp, especially, you know, I was reading today, like the pace of play in scrimmages for the NBA has been way up. And I suspect it will continue to be way up because just the game is played so quickly and it's harder to defend um, all of that. So what, what effect is, what what is the danger of your cardio being not where it should be on your body? Yeah, um, I think... Primarily, it's like you said, you, you can never replicate an NBA game contact, um, you know, the the neurological side to it, where even though there are no fans, there's not as much pressure. Um, you're not going to like you can do all the sprints you want, but until you're doing sprints and you have to execute everything perfectly with a basketball in your hand and with teammates and with coaches telling you what to do, it's, it's a completely different experience. Um, so. No players in condition right now. Um, it's going to take some time. And while that's happening, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever be in, in top shape before the season ends, considering it's like only eight games until the playoffs. But um, it's it's going to be tough for anyone to, to really get to that same level of conditioning, which could potentially, you know, be an indirect cause for injury because it's just – it's. Once, when you're out of condition, one, or when you, when you get fatigued in a game, which will be happening, um, you have less control of, of essentially your, your body part, parts. Mm-hmm. Your yeah. Because that's like, it's, it's kind of a biological thing. Like, once you get tired, all of your energy is going towards, you know, if we look at it from like back when we were cavemen, like all the energy is going <laughs> towards like saving, you know, bringing you back up to a, a normal yeah state. it's like a survival mode and also i mean also you, you're thinking constantly about how tired you are which means you're not thinking about how to move your leg right exactly and i mean this is well documented in studies that we have a lot less neuromuscular control when we get fatigued um which is why you'll see a lot of players get injured like late game um even like soccer players like late game hamstring injuries um ton of very, very thorough studies and meta-analyses on these. But basically, when we get tired, we're at more of a risk for injury because we have less neuromuscular control of our body. Um, and like I was saying, like positioning is going to be different. So um, players will be, when they're supposed to step over and help, like you're used to a player stepping over in a help position, they're going to be a little bit late. When players are late, you know, you end up with somebody's foot under you and things like that can happen. Um, so it's really a multitude of, of reasons as to why this may, the the lack of conditioning may lead to more injuries. But it's definitely, I could definitely see something happening with that. Yeah, and that would be really unfortunate. I mean, we've kind of already seen it. I mean, Eric Gordon went down with an ankle injury. I don't recall exactly what happened on it, but I, you know, it would be ridiculous to say that none of this stuff was no factor at all. Do you think there's a certain type? What types of players, you know, you can say specific names if you want, or you can talk about just generally or both. What types of players do you think are, like, kind of especially at risk in this situation? Like, I think of somebody like John Morant who jumps really high, whose core is still developing, 
where I worry about him, a player like that. Is that are there other players that are coming back that you worry like maybe are at more risk because of this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think inherently when you have more output, so you're higher in the air, you're moving at faster speeds, um, those guys are going to be the ones who may struggle a little bit more, whether it's a, an acute or a chronic issue. Um, just because with, with higher output means you have to have a better ability to decelerate that output. Um, so definitely those guys. Also, younger guys probably don't know how to control. They haven't found that pace yet. Like if you watch Chris Paul at the beginning of his career – and now, like, a lot of the younger guys, like, I'll work with now will be like, no, Chris Paul's not very fast or athletic. He is. He just chooses not to go at that speed. Um, obviously, he's, he's gotten a little bit older. But he, dude can still – he still has some wheels on him. But if you watch him at the beginning of his career, and really just for everyone, even guys like Russell Westbrook were just go, go, go. And now he's kind of learning to change speeds a little bit. So, I mean, maybe a guy like John Morant, like, he's not learned to control his speeds yet as well as he will in the future. I think he's pretty good at it. But um, younger guys who are more on go, they, they may be at more of a risk because, one, it's going to get you more tired when you're 100% the whole game. Mm-hmm. You're going at a higher speed for more of the game, which just mathematically gives you more opportunities to have, you know, be in a, a pretty much a crash course with the ground, um, whether you're, you're moving horizontally, sprinting, or you're up in the air jumping as high as you can, where a lot of players, you'll see, they don't even jump as high as they can just because they don't need to. Yeah, I, I noticed that, too. Like, I I did, for the Trace McGrady piece I did, I just sort of wanted to, I watched two games. I watched his one of his playoff games, and I watched a Paul George playoff game just as, like, a control, someone yes. who looked like him, who had a similar role on their team from 2017. And I made sure to sort of count the number of times they jumped and landed uh, just to get an idea. And Paul George actually jumped more often than McGrady, but his land, but he didn't jump as high most of the yeah. time. He was more jumping. It was a lot of like kind of those like sort of little jumps on a jump shot uh, sort of thing. Um, but Paul George is such an incredible athlete, and part of it is because he's a ba- he's able to kind of go from zero to sixty mm-hmm. so well. But I, I thought that I think that's interesting too. Like I've noticed this too. It seems like players don't jump as high now. Generally, and is some of that because of the biomechanics, or is more that you think because of the style of play, it's now more of like kind of a wider space rather than a more compressed space? I mean, how, what do you think is? Do you agree? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think it would be it would be cool to say that that these players have become more educated and like, oh, I'm not going to jump as high because it's going to save my injury risk. Um, maybe here and there, that's like potentially if you look at a really cerebral guy like LeBron, he may be thinking that. But for the most part, I think it's it's a combination between the style of play. So you don't really need to jump as high. Look at Steph. Like, most of his jumps are just little two-inch jumps to get up the yeah. ground. <laughs> um, Luka Doncic, like, all these guys can get up, but they don't really need to. And then also, I think players are learning to change speeds better. Um, you, I mean, you look – It's I mean, the best players are always able to change speeds, but – um, especially these days, like it's it's been taught more by coaches. Um, it's become more more kind of integrated into the style of play, like changing speeds, um, not going as fast as you can at all times, and that's really what's what's kind of contributed to it. Yeah, I mean that's something we've always heard. Like you can't, you gotta change speeds. But I I agree with that. And I also think 
some of that may be due to the emphasis on core training. Like, mm-hmm. when you didn't – like, that's essentially what causes you to be able to change speeds is otherwise, like I was talking – I wrote about with McGrady, like, you've got to use your legs to kind of stop yourself. Like, I, like when he pulled up for jumpers, he had to tilt his leg up in order to kind of stop his momentum. Um, and so the little bit of contact in the air and suddenly he's spinning all over the place, but mm. someone with a stronger core might be able to kind of push through that. And you, it, it, it's interesting to say younger players are more at risk because they probably one, haven't developed that through their work and two, their bodies are still growing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense to me that that's something that's a combination of the game and the training methods changing rather than necessarily more awareness by the players right if you're here's a the last, this is something i wanted to kind of maybe end on or think about a little bit more you know this has been just an uh, awesome conversation like let's say doc rivers or frank vogel or mike Bunholz or or maybe or brad steams or one of these coaches of these contending teams comes to you and says hey listen i really don't want my guys getting injured that would torpedo my chances but i also you know, we have to win and my best players are the most important factors to winning. Like, what do you recommend I do to kind of thread that needle properly? Like, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think this, this kind of bubble situation would be anything is just kind of putting a bandaid on a, on a bigger situation because it's just, it's so not unideal. I mean, dudes are coming back after five, six months of, of being off. I guess five months. Yeah. Anyways, long time, long time from from basketball. I mean, they've been playing basketball, but they haven't been playing right. NBA basketball. So um, the thing that I would say is if you're a contender, like ramp your guys up. And I mean, Le- the Lakers are, are doing this. Like I remember the, the first scrimmage, LeBron and AD didn't play in the second half. Um, and then, I mean, now they, they, they took them out completely from the scrimmages, which – I'm not sure if I agree with that. Like, I don't know their their circumstances, but I feel like getting those those kind of exposures and those lighter scrimmages may be helpful. Right. Um, so I mean, but you know, they they probably have got smarter than me on their staff. But and Davis also hurt his has like an eye injury, right? Wasn't yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that affects that. But I think of someone like Joel Embiid who's barely played in these scrimmages. Yeah, like you you've got you can't expect the worst thing to do is just is to have these guys just hop in once it's full intensity, and that's where the injuries are going to come. Like the scrimmages are there for a reason, not to get you. I mean, yes, to get your feel for the game back, but more so just to get that you know continue to get these exposures to the not the physical style of play but also like the elastic ground, ground contact that I was talking about um and build up because the worst thing that our bodies and especially our tendons like hate is just a, a very 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 rapid spike in work and that's what you're going to see with a lot of these guys who aren't playing much in the scrimmages um and like they've been off for a long time so they shouldn't be like we shouldn't be managing load too much right now because normally they would play a whole season and like I mean obviously they'll take some games off here and there but this should be a time to get them ramped up rather than resting them when they're more than used to playing 82 games plus the playoffs um now you have like eight games plus the playoffs so load management really shouldn't be a thing right now now the load management should be finding ways to get them more interesting 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, again, it's it's context dependent in that like maybe LeBron is has you know gotten a little tweak in his ankle and wants to give that some time off. Who knows? But I would definitely say like really calculated. Like dudes playing you know twenty minutes and twenty three minutes and twenty six minutes and also continuing to build that kind of foundation in in the weight room and on the physical preparation side. Um, I mean, most of the guys, these guys have been doing that in during like quarantine or whatever, but continue to do that. And also just have them listen to their bodies. Like the worst thing that, that we would want is God develops Achilles tendinopathy because he's not used to these ground contacts anymore because he's been on his ass for five months. And Next thing you know, his, his Achilles starts hurting, um, but he's in the third round of the playoffs, um, you know, Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, whatever. And instead of taking a game off, it, it you know, compounds, gets worse. And that's, I mean, that's, I think, primarily what we saw with KD last year. I mean, I, again, he was very quiet with, with what happened, but um, he, he didn't really listen to his body, and now he's missing a whole year rather than – missing that game and they lost the finals anyway. So it's it's always tough because winning is, is number one in most of these guys' minds. But it's 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 just something you gotta kinda consider the risk here and there. And then everything from nutrition to recovery, sleep, all that should just be extremely locked in on. Um and you gotta tap into that. It seems like that would be easier in a bubble setting, some of the recovery stuff actually. 100%. You know, then you know, you're at your house. Like it's a little easier to control. So in that sense, maybe there's some room for optimism here. That maybe in the bubble it'll be easier to prevent injuries from there. But it's interesting you say start and then load up. You know, it's funny how load management has taken on this this tenor of stop playing because mm-hmm. you know people play too much, and so load management is a way to stop playing. But really, all it is, like you said, if you think about it literally, is managing your load and sometimes you need to accelerate your load rather than yep. decelerate it it's more about finding that balance and it's it's interesting you're saying like they should play but play less within a game but still play yeah you know it's, it's just it, it maybe that'll this setting will kind of create a evolution of the term load management where it's like it's less about stopping from playing and more about finding that balance yeah 100 percent so the last thing I wanted to ask you, you know, this has been really great. Um, let's say I'm just someone, just a random fan who doesn't know anything about this stuff, and I'm watching these games and I want to see, like, want to know what to look for. What are? Can you name maybe like two or three things that, like, for someone who is a total novice, like, watch this stuff within a game, watch this in order to know, have a better idea of, well, is that player in a good body state? Is that player increasing his injury risk? Does that player have good or bad biomechanics? You know, is that player as explosive as he could be, as balanced as he could be? What are all of that stuff? What are, like, maybe, like, two or three things that you'd say, watch this first, and that, that'll that get you started? Yeah. I, first thing is probably the most obvious one, um, and this is this goes back to what we were just talking about, is see if they're going 100% at all times or if they're a little bit more controlled, like, I mean, the most the most prototypical example, D. Rose, like, he's actually changing speeds a lot better now, probably because he's been forced to, than he was in his MVP season, which is just go, 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 go. Um, and it's, it's 
a lot of players will still enter the league on that. And not only will this is going to help their their injury prevention in terms of like their it's going to be less likely that they get injured, but it's also going to help how they how they perform. Like changing speeds is one of the most yeah primary like central um, qualities you can have, especially as a guard. But I mean, pretty much everyone's a guard these days, so it's huge. But <laughs> yeah, so like hands on knees. Like if if, you, if someone's hands on their knees, that's a bad sign. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, generally, that's, I mean, they're, they're they're always exceptions, but that's like that's a good indicator if I'm just looking and I'm saying who's tired, like hands on knees, who's standing still the most. Like yeah. that's a good. That seems like it. That's a good start. What are some other things you look for? All right, so yeah, that's definitely a good start. I would say um, if you if you look at a landing and want to cringe then there's probably something to go <laughs> deeper into there. Like yeah. that's the thing is like a lot of this stuff is is really, really minute details um that you would have to analyze with motion analysis in a lab and stuff. And obviously like it's extremely difficult to access. So um if you look at someone and it, and you're like, ah shit, like I know that that wasn't like a great landing, there's probably something to go deeper into. So either they landed on a straight leg um, they fell really hard. They weren't really aware of where the ground is. Maybe their knee really translated very, very far in front of their toe to, to an unhealthy extent. Um, there's something in there that I would generally pause, like pause it, rewind it, watch it in slow mo, and just and see what was going on there. Um, a lot of the time, it's uncontrollable. Like a lot, even the players that are, are LeBron will land in awkward scenarios. You know, whoever, I don't know how many times, but it's it's happened a lot. And um, the fact that he's so robust as an athlete helps him kind of escape from these and and walk away untouched for the most part. But um, some guys will not will do it more often. Some guys are not as strong and have not, are not as robust of an athlete. So that may lead to something down the line. Right. I mean, really, you're saying also just watch landings. I mean, I just yeah. Yeah. Like it's funny, like everybody's focused on what the, the ball and what's happening up top that it, you just don't see these things more often. It's a lot to train yourself to like look down and not yeah. at the play. Um, so that's a good thing. Is there anything else that you sort of, and maybe not necessarily for injury prevention, but just understanding how someone is so explosive or so quick or how that guy gets by someone even though they don't seem like the greatest athlete what do you what do you think people should look at yeah i mean i think in terms of not seeming like the greatest cuz everyone knows a guy like lucas uh, um all these guys who who you wouldn't look at him and be like top tier athlete but they're very basketball athletic so um i mean i could list off a ton of qualities but one is the angles they're able to take so this comes down to um i mean ankle mobility, a ton of different qualities that kind of go into this. But the angles that they're able to take, um, the shin angles that they get to, is something I emphasize a lot. And that's like literally if you take the angle of the ground and your shin, the more – I mean, I want to say more, but generally the, the more of an acute angle it is, the generally the, the more your, your shin is – dropping closer to the ground the more of an acceleration position you're in it's a good rule of thumb yeah yeah exactly so that's big um 
their deceleration ability is huge. So like guys like James Harden just have an insane ability to eccentrically absorb force. Um, and then not only just absorb it, but redirect it. So like that comes in, in, in play in terms of change of direction where absorbing the force to stop and then pushing back out and using that sword energy to get out and make a crossover, a euro step or whatever. Um, so that's big in those guys. Um, and then a ton of it is just, more so on the perceptual side, like neurological side, um, skill coordination. I go way deeper into all this stuff, but um, guys like Steph and Luca, their ability to make all these things happen, whether it's dribbling the ball, passing the ball, shooting the ball, with all these external conditions conditions going on outside of them, um, it's crazy. It's crazy what they can do. So those are a couple of things I would really emphasize. Those are good rules of thumb. The shin angle thing is a sounds like a really is a really good one that I am starting to notice, and it just says a lot. Like whether, I mean, it almost it almost looks like for some of these great players, like they are literally parallel to the ground on some of yeah. these their shin angles, and it's pretty remarkable. That's a good, that's a really good rule of thumb. I think. I mean, generally, it seems like what people should be focusing on is what's happening down below. Yeah. Rather than what's happening up above, um, what's happening in the feet and the knees. Well, this was really great. I mean, thank you so much for taking the time um, to chat with me. This is these are really interesting things that like up beyond like who wins or loses the game. Like this yeah. stuff is fundamental to the sport, and it's just hard to notice. So I think people really get a lot out of knowing here's what to look at, learning your story, and how so much of it is just based on looking at the right spots and delving more into them uh tell people where they can find you in case they want to know more about what you're doing and uh the stuff you're putting out and the work you do yeah so instagram at by any means basketball that's where i do i mean i post daily i, I post a bunch of stuff on there youtube by any means basketball search it up should come up um and then website www.byanymeansbball.com i got it virtual training programs and a bunch of information on there. So check all of it out. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. It's Coleman Ayers from By Any Means Basketball, someone who just, if you want to learn more about the biomechanics of the sport, his work is a must to follow. So keep an eye on that stuff, everyone, while the uh, while the bubble is going on because, you know, it add, case on added importance in this very strange time. So, Coleman, thanks again. This is Mike Prada. This has been the Limited Upside Podcast.